The Beat Church, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. All right, the Bi- who's been doing the Bible reading? I know we had like almost 50 people on there. It's been amazing. And there's just some great uh, insights on there, both through the actual devotional and then also through people just sharing their own thoughts and, and observations or feelings of how God's talking to them. So if you are not on there, I would just encourage you, you know, if you don't want to comment uh, for now, you just want to read, you know what, do that. Get in the water. Just let it get, get used to being in the community around the word and then share as you have something to, to speak out and share. But one point that came out of that this week uh, in one of the devotionals we were reading that really spoke to me was that different people are in different, kind of different days of creation. Meaning, we look at everyone and judge everybody, not you, not me, of course not, but some people do, about how far along they are in the journey of what God's doing in their life. And the devotional just pointed out, you know, God at the end of each day during creation, he just looked and said, it's good. It wasn't finished because he had more days to go, but it was good for today. And the next day, it's good for today. And it was just a a good encouragement to me to read. So if you're here and you're like, man, I'm not quite where I want to be in my mindset, in my emotions, in my heart, in my relationships, in my walk with the Lord, whatever it might be, you feel like, man, I'm not quite there. Do you know what? Just stop and say, do you know what? Thank you, Lord, it's good where I'm at right now. And I know you're not finished. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, the Bible says. Let's pray. We're going to jump in. We're going to talk about emotions today. Uh, You may know somebody that has emotions. Um, So think of them while we go through this word, okay? All right, Father, thank you for this word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand it and to walk it out in our lives. Lord, help us to, uh, Lord, not point this word directly to somebody else, but help us to take it to our own heart and understand how it works for us and what you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going through a series right now, Six Areas of Personal Wholeness, and this week we are on uh, emotions, the emotional, and the reason we're doing this series, we have the six parts, is sometimes in church we over-spiritualize things, and what I mean by that is that everything is spiritual. The Bible says that in Colossians, right, that everything was made by him and through him, and everything's held together in him, like everything is spiritual because God's made it. Right? Even Romans tells us that the invisible attributes of God have been made known by all the things he's made. So all the spiritual things of God have been made known by the physical things that he's made. Okay, so we know that already everything's spiritual. But when I say we sometimes over-spiritualize things is that we just put everything onto prayer or everything onto, well, it must be spiritual, it must be a God thing. So, you know, I've got, like right now, I'm going out. Uh, Matt, stand up for a second and show your shirt. This guy is absolutely offensive. Look at his shirt. Rents due. So uh, Matt is getting me ready for this Spartan race. And so, of course, he'd wear a shirt that I'm going to stare at this whole service saying rents due, meaning he's going to force me into some kind of terrible physical pain sometime in the next week, probably. I don't know why he's taunting me that way. But I can't just pray my way to preparation, right? I got I to gotta pray too, but I got to go out and actually put the work in, right? So there is actual things. When we talk about the physical, there's physical things to do in order to get yourself into a place of physical wellness and wholeness. And then there's also praying. We pray for healing. We believe God heals. We pray for encouragement in our emotions and in our mind. But we also 
can at times need other resources where God says, you know what, I've set something up to help you. So that's why we're doing these six areas and one by one going through them. So today we're doing emotional wholeness. So six basic emotions. Okay, these are what psychologists boil down to basically your six basic emotions. Now, of course, if you know people, you know they can take any variation of these and mix them into a wonderful concoction of some kind of emotion. Who knows a good mixer? Somebody that mixes them up real good. You're like, what's going on right now? Uh, so joy is one. Sadness, fear, disgust, anger, and surprise are kind of your six basic. I mean, there's lots of variation that come out of that. But those are the six basic. They say, you know, if you take everything else away, you're always left with at least these six. Okay, so take a second and think about yourself. Okay, in the last week, which ones have you felt? Have you felt joy this week? Have you felt sad? Have you felt fear, disgust, anger, surprise? Like, which ones have you felt in the last week? Which one do you think you have felt the most? Like, which one has kind of defined your week? Think about that for a minute. Which one has kind of defined, like, well, pretty much this whole week's just been angry. It's just all been angry. I've been waking up angry. I've been going to bed angry. I've been all these things. This morning I woke up and I came in and there was different things going on. We had septic issues. We had all kinds of stuff happening. And uh, Kyle Bertels walks in my office like he has an emergency meeting. Can I close the door? We need three to five minutes. I'm like, okay. What do we got going? He shuts the door, locks it. All right. Laugh with me. We're going to laugh for the next five minutes. So I'm going to instruct you. I'm like, what, are you, what is happening right now? So don't get near Kyle by yourself in a locked room. <laughs> All I know is he's like, no, laugh, laugh like this. Okay, now repeat after me. Ha, ha, two ha's, now three ha's, ha, ha, ha. Okay, now do this. He's got me going through this whole thing. He's like, no, you're not using your belly. I'm like, you are not Matt. I'm not training with you. Stop. I've got things to do. He's like, just do it. You'll enjoy it. So five minutes later, we're both laughing and smiling. Oh, it's frolicking. We were frolicking. It was so amazing. So whatever your mood is, right, you can still make a choice. Uh, your emotions are not your identity. This is my first point today. Your emotions are not your identity. They're indicators. They're not identifiers of who you are. Okay? You can have an emotion without being that emotion. Okay? You can actually feel something, but it doesn't make it what you are. Okay, in our society, that's got very blurred. Anything you feel is who you are. This is who I am. This is how I feel. But that's not true psychologically, and it's not true biblically. Okay, you can actually have feelings that don't define the reality of who you actually are. They just tell you how you feel. So, well, where's some scripture on that? Judges 6, 11 through 16. It's a story of of Gideon, it says, the angel of the Lord came and he sat down under the oak in Ophir that belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So here's a guy, there's an army raiding, it's taking over their place, and he's hiding, threshing wheat, and he's just in there hiding out. He's not fighting the enemy, he's not taking charge, he's not doing anything good. He's, he's back there, he's just threshing wheat, and he's just hiding out while these armies are coming in to raid. And he's not going to go out to the battle. So what do you think his feelings are right now? Fear, right? He's fearful. So he's afraid. Okay, that's his emotion. 
Okay, but watch what the Lord says. The Lord appeared to him, and he said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So he's feeling afraid, but that's not his identity. It's just his feeling. And the Lord speaks directly through the feeling to his actual identity and says, this is not you. You are a mighty man of valor. Okay, when we identify with our feelings, it makes for a very, very unstable life. If we identify who we are by how we feel. If you want stability in your life, you've got to be able to separate your identity from what you feel. It doesn't mean you don't feel it. It just means it's not who you are. Okay, so that's the first point that we need to know about emotional wholeness. Going on, he says, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his wonders of which our fathers told us? Has not the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of Midian. Okay, again, what's he feeling? Fear. He's feeling abandoned. Anybody ever feel abandoned in your life? I feel fearful. I feel abandoned. I feel like nobody wants me. Nobody cares about me. I'm lost out here. Like, I'm alone. These are my feelings. Okay, even though he's already been told he's a man of value, he's, no, but this is how I feel, and where were you? And you've abandoned me, and I'm alone, and I'm afraid, and, and why aren't you helping us? Verses, the end of that passage says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel from the hand of the Midian. And I am sending you. Go in what? The strength that what? The strength that what? You have. Not that I'm going to give you. He didn't say, go, I'm going to give you strength. Go. No, he said, you know what? You already have the strength. So go. This is already who you are. I've already equipped you. I've already made you. I've already put it in you. You don't need more. You just need to take what I've put in there and go put it to use. Dig in a little deeper. And take action on it. Get into it. You know, Art was talking about boxing, and Hyrule's over here. He's a boxing coach over here at the boxing. I got to go over there and let the people punch me. I said, I can come train. I can come help. And they're like, good, put on a belt and let them punch you. I'm like, okay, I guess I can do that. Like, that's my intelligence level over there. It's like, okay, just go get punched. You're punching. But me and a punching bag are at the same level. <laughs> like, I'm just realizing that. Like, we're just the same level. The only difference is I'm not chained to the ceiling. But I'm just a standing punching bag. So I stand there, and this little girl's punching me. Francesca, boom, punching me. And just like, and she's like this tall. This little, like she's handing me a cup of tea. Here you go. Here you go. I'm like, is that as hard as you can punch? And she's like, I'm like, no, come on, punch me. Like, punch me. So she goes back through the line, comes back again. A few times through the line, and she's just like, boom, like actually hitting me. And I'm like, okay, that was already, guess what, in her, right? She didn't need anything else. She just needed to identify that, you know what, there is some power in here. I can put something to work here. I can do something here. Right? God's already put power and strength in Gideon. Gideon's just not identifying with it. He's identifying with his emotion. And he's saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too weak. I'm too this. I'm too that. So it goes on. He's having this long conversation. The next verse, he says, oh, do you know what? I didn't say that one, so I'll just tell you. 
he, say, he goes on to say, oh yeah, here it is. Okay, he says, please, Lord Gideon, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is, check this out. He's just, he's going to argue with God. Anybody ever argued with God? All right, anybody won? Not usually. But he's going to push this to the, he's going to push this to the max. So God's told him, go in the strength you have. And so the next verse says, please, my Lord. He's just begging him, please, please, in Manasseh. And I am the youngest in my father's house. He's like giving every reason. Like, not only have you abandoned us and left us, not only am I alone, not only am I nothing, but look, I'm the weakest one and the youngest one. Like, you can't possibly think that I could do anything. I mean, he's identifying with just the most fear, the most aloneness, the most of all the worst emotions that he could. He's fully invested enough to argue it out with God. And what does the Lord say? Surely I will be with you. And you will strike down the Midianites as one man. He just ignores all of it. And he just goes right to his heart. Nope, you're going. You can do it. Get out of here. Do it. And he's not letting him identify with where he's at. God doesn't want you to just always identify with what you feel. God wants you to identify with what he has put in you, who he's made you to be. The Bible says that we are actually a temple. We're, we're a temple of the living God. We believe that not only did he die, but he sent his spirit to live within us. That is your identity. You're an identity as a, as a bearer of God, a child of God, somebody that walks in his power and his strength and in his wisdom, that he gave peace to and joy to, that this is where God wants us to be walking. So going on uh, to this next verse, it's a verse with Mary, and this comes out of out of the New Testament, but it's, and I didn't get the address on there, but it says, he came to her and he said, this is the angel again coming. See, angels come and they just break all this good news to people. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Does that sound nice? If somebody knocked on your door right now and you opened your door and they said, greetings, God's favor is upon you, what would your emotion be? Joy, what else? Surprise. Okay, what are you selling? Surprise. I've already bought a vacuum. Thank you. So this is Mary's response. She was greatly troubled. <laughs> greatly troubled. Anybody ever have somebody say something's good to you and your first feeling is just uneasy? Good news. Somebody brings you good news. And I got some good news. And you're just like, oh, okay. Anybody like that? The last couple of years, it seems like more and more people are like that. Like, good news just makes you want to, like, grab something and take a rest. Like, okay, what's happening? What's bad? Like, how are you trying to spin something? I know there's nothing good. What's going on? And so this is what's happened. She's like, oh, my gosh. I'm troubled. And so she's trying to discern what sort of greeting that this might be. Hmm, what are you talking about? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Something good is coming into her life. God's calling and God's purpose. And it goes on to talk about how she's going to be the mother of Jesus. He's going to be the savior of the world. And so her identity was as the mother of Jesus, the one who's going to raise the savior of the world. This is where she's at. But when the angel comes, her response emotionally is fear and trouble. Like, what, what's going on? Okay, but she was called to live outside of that and to live in the purpose that God had for her. They're just not her identity. Another point, your emotions are not your enemy. A lot of people feel like their emotions are their problem. Oh, these emotions, man, oh man, I just, I shouldn't feel this way. I'm just gonna stuff it. 
Any stuffers in here? Any emotional stuffers? Right? Oh, no, I'm not angry. I am not angry at all. And if I was angry at you, you would know it. You would know it. But I am so at peace. And I love you. Because I am a Christian. Okay? Anybody ever do that? You're stuffing it as much as you can? I don't want to feel that way. So it can be like that. I don't want to feel that way. Okay, but they're not your enemy. Here's a verse out of Ecclesiastes 3, chapter 4. It's out of a whole list of things that they're giving timing for. But this specific verse says, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. Next week, we're going to interrupt worship to weep together. Right? All right, I know you all came in happy and joyful, but we're just going to turn off these for a second, and we're just going to cry together, okay? It's like Matt did for laughing today. Okay, we're going to take time to weep. Okay, it says there's a time for it. It doesn't say don't weep, don't cry, don't grieve, don't be sad. No, there's a time. There's an actual time where it's okay to, it doesn't even just say cry, weep. They just lose it. Anybody lost it before? Just raise your hand. Okay, keep your hand up if you've lost it in the last year. Okay, we're going to do this very slowly, okay? Raise your hand if you've lost it in the last day. See how slow I went? Okay, <laughs> there's a few of you who lost. How many of you lost it this morning? Okay. There's a time where that's Okay. Stop crying about it. Stop, just get it, get it together. Pull yourself together. Stop. Well, there's that time where it's okay to weep. It was hard. I lost my job. I lost something. I failed at something. Oh, you didn't fail. You just found another way. You didn't succeed. No, I failed. There's so many great words to put on things nowadays that it's like we can't even actually be allowed to feel, right? Oh, I lost that match. No, you didn't lose it. You just got ready for the next one. Okay, but my record's 0-12. I've lost a few matches. They're not, the judges aren't counting them as getting ready. I've lost. You know what? We lose sometimes. We get hurt sometimes. We get wounded sometimes. We fail sometimes. Okay, the feelings that come with that, it's okay. It is okay to weep or to be hurt or to cry or to have feelings that something's gone wrong. Something hasn't gone well. It's, it's not something to hide. It's not something to suppress. Here's another verse, Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So this is Jesus himself talking, and he doesn't say, hey, you mourners, pull it together. Don't you know you're supposed to rejoice always? Why are you mourning? Hello, you're making the brand look bad. We're Christians. You're supposed to be joyful. Smile. I'm heading over to bury my dad right now. Rejoice. He's in heaven. Praise God. We can get like that. We can get too spiritual. It's okay to, to mourn. The Bible doesn't say that we'll be judged for mourning. It doesn't say you're not allowed to mourn. It doesn't even tell you that there's a length of time that's proper or appropriate to mourn. It doesn't say, blessed are those who mourn for three days, 
but on the fourth day they will see their friends and must start rejoicing. It just says blessed, they'll be comforted. Some things take longer to get through than other things. I know people that have lost children, people that have found out bad health news, people that found, oh, get your faith up. Get your faith up. Don't confess that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually grieving right now. My family's got to go through this. We've got to go get treatment for leukemia. We've got to go get treatment for this. We've got to go do this. We're, it's changing our life right now. We're in grief. We're mourning. And God will come in and comfort and build and strengthen. Okay, even anger. You know, the Bible says to be angry and do not sin. It doesn't say don't ever get angry. He knows that we will get angry at times. The sin is when we start to act out on it, treat people poorly, or start to judge people and start to cause harm from it. But the actual feeling is something that happens. I've gotten angry at myself before. I've gotten angry at other people. I've heard people have gotten angry at me. It happens. But these things are not things that define who we are. They're things that we go through. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't say blessed are those who have the greatest faith and the most awesome spirit. But they can be poor in spirit. I got nothing to bring right now. I don't even want to come to church. I don't want to go. I don't want to pray. I don't want to open my Bible. I don't want to read this thing. I just want to go to bed. That's poor in spirit. It means that they don't have anything to offer. There's nothing to give. There's nothing to bring to the table. These are some pretty deep emotions. But sometimes we feel like, well, the only way I can do it, the only way I can do faith is I got to always act like it's all together. I got to show up and smile and high five and do this and do that. I got to make it all together. And we find out a couple years later, things are just falling apart. My insides are falling apart. It's, all this stuff's been suppressed. All of a sudden I'm exploding in anger because it's all been suppressed. It's been stuffed down. But they're not our enemies. They just indicate things. Like, I'm grieving. Why? Because I've lost a loved one. Well, what does that indicate? Well, one, it indicates that I had a real relationship that had value and that it mattered and that I've been blessed by God to have that relationship. And that now it's gone and that's caused some suffering, which means what? I'm a real person, real emotions. It's indicating something. You might get angry at something, and you know what it's indicating, and it's showing you that there's something going on that's not just. It's not right. And you need to do something to help alleviate it. Something productive, though, and often anger isn't what's productive. I'm angry that people are abandoning their kids and people aren't taking care of their children and that people are, fathers are running away and leaving their kids and, and moms and dads are getting too addicted to drugs or they're getting into problems and they're leaving their kids behind. Man, that makes me angry. So then what's the response? That's an indicator. It's making me angry. It's making me angry because it's wrong. But if my response is anger, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to find those parents and beat them all up? But if it motivates me to say, you know what, these kids need a father, these kids need a mother, they need a family, the next thing you know, I'm adopting, I'm fostering, I'm reaching out, I'm helping, I'm doing recovery and trying to draw these parents and help them get on their feet because I'm angry that this is happening, but I love them and it, because everything is through love. But the anger itself is just an indicator, hey, something's wrong here. Something's wrong. But how do I want to use it? I want to use the indicator to point me towards love and then to serve out of that. John eleven thirty two 32 to 35, your emotions are not 
your outcome. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, now this is after Lazarus died. Jesus was supposed to come because Lazarus was sick and instead of hurrying along, he just kind of like slow walks it there. Kind of going through the towns, hanging out, going slow. So he gets there and Lazarus is dead. So Mary comes out and she says, Jesus, after she fell at his feet, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then check out these two words. Jesus wept. Lazarus died. Everyone's weeping. Jesus comes. Jesus already knows that he's going to raise him from the dead. He already knows that he's going to win this. He already knows that death isn't final in this situation. And he still weeps. Your emotions are not your outcome. Sometimes people say, well, I can't identify with the emotion because it will just become my outcome. Like, I can't admit that because it will just become my outcome. If I say that out loud, I'm going to curse myself, and that will be how it is. That's not what happened here. Jesus acknowledged the human suffering that was going on, the loss, and he wept. He let it out with him. You're crying, I'm going to cry with you. I'm not going to try to just come and just encourage you and tell you everything's okay. I'm going to come and just get beside you and weep. I'm still going to care. It still moves me that you're being moved. And it's okay to talk about, but it's not your outcome. When I taught one of my sons to ride a bike, I won't mention which one, but we were literally running down the street, and I'm running him on his bike, and he's pedaling. The first time with training wheels off, and he's pedaling, and he is bawling. I mean, snot, tears, wailing. He's weeping like Jesus. Just bawling. And we're going down the street, and his aunt was out there with us at first trying to teach him to ride. I'm trying to be the cool dad, and neighbors watch out the windows, and every, my son's going. He's bawling. And then my ego started to get in. This was a long time ago when I had an ego and anger and stuff. Now I'm just so perfect. And I look at him, I'm like, this is getting embarrassing. My boy won't ride a bike. He's crying about it. So I'm like leaning in his ears. I'm pushing him down. I'm telling him, you're going to be in trouble if you don't start pedaling these pedals right now. Like, don't you know neighbors are watching right now? You're going to pedal this bike. He's like, I don't want to. I don't want to. He's literally wailing and crying, and he's screaming this out. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he's bawling. I'm running. And I just took my fingers off. And I kept my hands in the same position. And I ran with him. And we're literally flying down the street. He's riding on his own while bawling and yelling at me. I can't do it. And finally, about a half a block down, I lift my hands back. And I'm just running with him. I'm looking at him like, you're doing it, son. You're doing it. And he's bawling and looking at me. He's looking at the bike. He's wobbling now because he realizes he's crying. He's like, it's a disaster. And then pretty soon he's like, I'm doing it. I did it by myself, right? Look at what I did. 
like, yeah, nothing to do with dad's help at all. But those emotions were not his reality at all. His emotions was fear, I can't do this, there's no way. The reality was he was actually even already doing it. I see all the time pastoring. Oh, I could never be a good mom. Oh, I'm never going to raise my kids well. Oh, I can't believe I screwed up so much. Some of you moms need to know you're already doing it. You're already being a good mom. You're just not perfect. Okay? And since I'm not a mom, there are no perfect moms. Okay? We kind of erase the chance at it. No. Just take a breath. You're doing the best you can, and God knew that those kids would be yours. And it's okay that you're not perfect. Just take care of them. Love them. You're already doing it. Some of you dads, the same thing. Man, I'm not a good enough dad. Man, my kids are going to, oh, man. You're already doing it. You're already being a good dad. If God came down and talked to you, he wouldn't say, well, you miserable wreck of a dad. You miserable wreck of a mom. He'd come down and say, man, you're doing it. You mighty woman of God. You mighty man of valor. You're sticking through it. You're changing destiny. You're, you're moving things different than how you were raised or how some things that went on that wrong. You're already doing it. Our emotions do not always match, and they don't match our outcomes. Other things can be happening all the time that God is working in our heart. Our emotions are not our weakness. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles... Okay, so there's our emotion and our weakness. God's comforting me because I need comfort, so guess what? I am. I am weak. I am loser. I'm weak Christian. Me. But look what it says. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The emotions weren't weakness. They were just preparation. We're going through stuff in order to know how to relate to other people that, guess what, are going through stuff. God uses it to teach us. Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of God. Why? Because he's been tempted in every way as we are, and he can empathize with our weakness. He went through emotions, trials, and struggles in preparation in his humanity to be able to relate to who we are in our suffering. So that when we came and said, I got a problem, he wouldn't say, well, you're just a loser. He'd be able to say, do you know what? I've been down there on earth walking around. I've been tempted when I was hungry. I've been tempted when I was rejected. I've been tempted when I was thrown out. I've been through all this. I've lost loved ones and friends. I know what you're going through. And he can comfort us and give us mercy and grace, not just because he's God, but because he's also man. Because he came down in the flesh and he lived it out and he feels it. He understands it from our level. God lets you walk through some stuff in your life because your life is not all about you. That's just the reality. I go through stuff sometimes, like, God, why am I going through this? And he's like, just suck it up. It's not about you. Somebody else needs to see you go through it so they can see you. Or you need to feel it so that you can have some more compassion, because right now you're kind of a jerk. So I'm going to let you deal with it. Next thing you know, I'm like, man, I know what you're going through. <laughs> We're both in the same boat. 
I start to have compassion. It starts to come through. They're not our weakness. God's preparing us and using those. So emotional wholeness. Here's a study out of UCLA. See this wonderful lady uh, eating a spider. Oh, gosh. If you look real close, you can see his eyeballs right there. Oh, wonderful. Any spider lovers in here? Hmm? I don't like the black, black ones, but the brown ones are delicious. They're amazing. So they did a study helping people come over their fear of spiders. Okay, which I had a deep fear of spiders because I snuck out when I was a kid. Don't let my kids hear me say that. But I snuck out when I was a kid. I wasn't allowed to watch arachnophobia. And so I snuck out. We snuck down to the mall. We watched arachnophobia because we weren't allowed to watch horror movies. Like, it's not a horror movie. It's a spider movie. So we went. It's a horror movie. (laughs) It was a horror movie. We went and watched this thing, came back. Now, back then, we didn't have a lot of money, so my bedroom was literally on our porch. So I lived on the porch, um, uh, and that's where I lived at. And in the springtime, there's a lot of bugs on the porch. And me and my cousin stayed up all night swatting bugs off of each other that we thought were spiders. And if you just watched arachnophobia and you think there's a spider, you're swatting to kill. And so we both got up in the morning just completely covered in red, welted handprints on every inch of our body from trying to save each other from spiders. I'm not a spider fan. But if you have spider fear, here it is. UCLA does a study, and they gave people a way, four ways to overcome their fear, and they're all separated into different groups. So one, they said, you know what, just label your fear of spiders. Okay, when you start to feel the fear, like the spider's over there, they want them to move closer and closer to it, right? It's like lines on the floor, they're checking their distance. Move closer and closer, okay? And as you get closer, label what you feel. Just write it down, label it. The other group, they said, just think differently. Like, you're moving towards a spider, just think, I'm not afraid of spiders. Just think like that, just think differently. The other one, distract yourself. Ooh, nice light. And just keep moving towards a spider. All right, just keep doing that. And then the other ones, they gave no instructions at all. They just left them to themselves and locked them in a room with a spider. It was a horrible experiment. Don't ever do it. Okay, so they go in there. Guess who overcame their fear the most consistently? You think it, right? That's what I would have thought. Think differently. No, the ones that labeled it. The ones that labeled it and said, what I'm experiencing right now is fear of a spider. Well, duh. But to label it and say it out loud and to just acknowledge that this is what it is, right? It's like somebody says, quit being so angry. I'm not angry. Right? Isn't that what we do immediately? Like, why are you so scared? I'm not scared. We just immediately block the emotion. But they found if you just label it and admit it, right? Yeah, I'm freaking out. It's me right now. I'm doing it. That it immediately actually starts to calm you down. Like you've put it outside of yourself and looked at it and put a label on it. And so they, this was the best way to do it. And so learning from David, we're going back to the Bible, Psalms 42, verse 5. David actually did this. Man after God's own heart. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why the unease within me? He looked at what was going on in himself, and instead of ignoring it, pretending it wasn't happening, he just looked at it and he said, you know what? I'm downcast and I'm not at ease. What's going on? He just looked at it. Look, I'm dealing with sadness, I'm dealing with fear, right? I'm downcast, I'm sad, I'm uneasy, I'm afraid of something. Like, what's going on? And he just took stock of himself for a minute. 
This is what's happened. This is the same guy that ran out and killed Goliath, the big giant that was holding back a whole army. He runs out there with a rock and a slingshot like he's Bobby. He's running around, shooting slingshots at stuff. Here comes Bobby. Don't worry, everybody. Put your cannons away. Same guy. But he stops and he looks at himself instead of ignoring it. And he just says, you know what? I'm downcast and I'm uneasy. I'm sad. I'm afraid. What's going on with me? And he just looked at it. So that's the first thing that David did is he labeled it. The rest of that verse is the second part. He directed it. Psalms 42.5. The second half of that verse. Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him for the salvation of his presence. He looks at his own heart, his own emotions, and he says, what's going on? And then he tells his emotions what to do. So he's not identifying that these are me. He's not saying this is who I am. He's not saying this is my outcome. But he's looking at them. Why am I afraid? Why am I uneasy? Look to God. He's our salvation. Look to God and give praise. Okay? I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I'm afraid. I'm too weak. I can't. No, look at yourself. Pick yourself up. Say, no, I am strong. I can do this. God's given me his favor. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I don't know how to do anything. Okay, that's a feeling of fear that you have inadequacy and short, you're too many shortcomings to succeed. Why am I feeling so dumb? I'm labeling the emotion, not myself. See, on the reverse, we usually label ourselves, right? I'm so dumb. No, stop, step out. Say, you know, why am I feeling so dumb? I'm not. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says in James, if I lack wisdom, I can ask God and he'll give it to me. I literally have access to God's wisdom. I'm not dumb. I will have confidence in the wisdom and favor of God. David's directing himself back towards God, to hope in God, to praise in God. The next thing that we see in David's life, 32 verses 2 through 4, is that he deals with it. So he labels it, he directs it, and then he actually deals with it. This is a time when he's feeling shame and he's feeling heaviness and sadness again. And it comes out that there was sin that was going on in his life. And it says, blessed is the man whose iniquity the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then he says, when I kept silent, so when I did nothing, when I refused to deal with it, when I was hiding out, when I was pretending this wasn't going on, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. He's saying, man, when I didn't deal with this, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Anybody ever had unforgiveness and you're just like, I'm not dealing with it? I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm not going to see that person. I don't want to be around that person. I'm not going to deal with it. So I'm just going to let this bitterness die. Does it die that way? It grows. It grows like planting a seed and burying it. I'm not, I don't see you. You're gone. Next thing you know, it's crawling through the basement and cracking the foundation and coming into your house because he didn't deal with it. So when this stuff was heavy on David's heart, he didn't deal with it. It began to overtake his life. But he came clean, he confessed, and he's talking about blessed is the man whose sins are not counted against him. Like he's received God's forgiveness. It's out in the open. He's moved on. And so dealing with things. Do you have something in your life you need to deal with? Sin, loss. I'm hiding from the loss. I, I, I lost my money. I lost my job. I lost my loved one. Greed. You have greed in your life. Man, I need to deal with my, my feeling of greed. Why am I always wanting everybody else's stuff? Why do I never feel satisfied? I've been abused. Well, I'm just going to forget it. Okay, I don't say wallow in it and live in it forever. But deal with it. Take it to God. Talk about it. Label it. Say, Lord, this is what I went through. This was real. This happened. It hurt me. It still affects me, Lord. I need your help. 
Talk to someone you trust. Talk to a loved one that you can trust, a believer that you can trust. Talk to a therapist like we talked about last week. But whatever you need, just get it out and then go deal with it. i got to deal with this thing. I need to talk about it. I don't need to live in it forever, but i got to at least bring it out and deal with it. i got to at least handle it. Fatigue. I'm tired all the time. Okay. Make a change. Bitterness, a medical issue. I mean, these are things that we got to actually just look at and deal with that affect our emotions. Philippians 4, 6 through 8, surrender it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything. It's talking about the emotions. But in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Supplication is to pray with a deep, felt need, a desperation. It's the emotional side of prayer. Prayer is the word you're saying. Supplication is the spirit you're bringing it with. God, I need this. I need you to help me. Like, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling this emotion. This is what I'm going through, God. I need your help. And we pour it out, and we're actually asking for help and getting emotional, allowing our whole self to show up. Not just the words that we've learned how to say, but our whole self to show up. And to really pour it out and to get deep and to let him hear what we're saying. And then it says, with thanksgiving, we do that. That means we're surrendering or we're letting it go. We're saying, okay, God, I'm giving you thanks. I know you've taken this off my plate. I know that you're handling this. So we pray out our emotions. We give him thanks. We make that request. And then it says the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. So we rest in his peace. And then verse 8, fix our minds on him. This goes back. This is how they all tie together with our circle. See, now it's going back into mental health because we're a whole person. Fix your mind on these things, whatever is Pure, whatever is lovely, honorable, true, excellent, worthy of praise. Like, think about these things. Now we're setting our mind on these things. And then the last thing that we see in David after all these other things, one other thing that we see is that he rises above it. Psalm 16. Now, not immediately. Because he's already grieved. He's already suffered. He's already prayed. He's already done all these things. But at some point, he rises above some of these circumstances in his life. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. So he spends time in the presence of the Lord in order to get his emotions and his heart to rise out of the situation and to walk with God. And David, if you read Psalms, there's a lot of this. He didn't just figure it out once, and then he just lived above he went through these things at different times, and he had the struggles at different times, and he had to keep on reenacting. But here's some ways that you can rise above your emotions. One is prayer, real prayer, not just head prayer, prayer from your heart, gratitude, looking at things to be grateful and giving thanks, community, get in and around community of people that will encourage and build you up, that helps your emotions. I don't feel like it. Well, yeah, that's the community helps, the choice. You just choose to go get in community. So that they can start to build you up, start to refill your tank, start to bring wholeness back to you and health back to you. Bible reading, being in the word. It's our daily bread. It literally gives us life. And then serving others. When you take yourself and you take your emotion, you say, you know what, I'm just going to go and serve somebody. I don't feel great. I'm upset. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I'm sad. I'm Whatever it is, but you just go, you know, I'm just going to go serve somebody. And you start serving. Guess what happens to your emotions? They start to move up. 
you start to realize, man, I'm, I've been feeling really down about this, but this person's got it worse off than me. They're struggling. they got other things happening. And you start to like feel like, man, maybe it's not so bad for me. Or you see the joy that comes on their face, and you get excited, like, man, look at the joy I just brought them. I feel good about life. I feel good about myself. And it starts to come back into our heart. The Bible says that those who water others will be watered, and those who refresh others will be refreshed. When we pour into other people, it starts to come back in. It starts to actually cycle back into our own life. It starts to fill us up. So in your emotions, go through some of these steps. If you're dealing with something, and we're going to pray here and close up, but if you're going through something, don't run from it. It's not emotionally healthy to bury, suppress, and run from all of your emotions and just say praise God every time. We always want to praise God, but in the midst of it, deal with what's going on. Say, you know, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling fearful. Or if it's joy, because there's good things too. I'm feeling joy. I'm going to celebrate. Well, I don't want to be too happy because I'll make people feel weird because they're not happy. If you're, be happy. Enjoy your happiness. It may not last. Something bad could happen tomorrow. That's depressing. It's true. When you get a chance to enjoy life, enjoy. don't feel bad about it. But identify the emotion and deal with the emotion and walk through it. Get help from somebody if you need it. And if you need someone to celebrate with, go find somebody. Say, man, I, wanna, I got too much joy for myself. I need to find somebody. Whatever it is, do it in community. Allow God to work through that. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I pray that today as we leave here, God, that you would encourage us. God, to deal with some of the stuff maybe that's been just been buried, pushed down, suppressed, Father, and just, or not to wallow in it and make it our life or our identity, but God, just to be able to say, you know what, Lord, I feel like this. Help me to move forward into the joy of the Lord, into your presence. Father, I pray that every person here, God, would begin to find, Lord, healing emotionally, Lord, mentally, as we've talked about both of those. And as we go on in the series, God, just help them to Take each area, Lord, and see what you'd speak to them. We begin to just make little changes, Father, little adjustments at a time, Lord, and allow you to work in and through their life, Lord, to bring all the abundance that you came to bring, Lord. You said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came that we could have life and have it more abundantly, Lord. I pray for that abundant life to be on each person. In Jesus' name, amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.